We've got to be the body to rock it like we're never going to see it again. We are exploding. The world is going to know it. We rock it like you're never going to see us again. Come on over. Come on over. Good evening, everyone. It is 9 p.m. on this Monday night. November 7th, 2011, and Pure Gold is live and on the air. Welcome to the show that covers everything and anything and tells it like it is. My name is Joe Pacino, not to be confused with Joe Paterno, and my tag team partner and co-host is Big Daddy David Gomez. How are you? I'm good. I can't believe you went there, sir. That's definitely not the way you want to start out this show. <laughs> wow, that, 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 that's a bit much, sir. Well, I'm trying to be funny because, you know, our guest tonight is much funnier than I am, so, you know, I had to start off with a corny joke. Oh, of course, of course, so we can get the jokes and get better as the show goes on. <laughs> How are you? I'm doing wonderful, sir, wonderful, and, uh, you know, I'm going to give out the contact information as I always do. You can be a part of the show by calling in 714-364-4721. You can check out our Facebook, our Twitter, and all that other goodness, puregoldpg.com. You can also hear our past episodes there. And finally, Joe got his own official Pure Gold uh, you know, Twitter account instead of using the original one that we use. So you can uh, speak to us both individually, together, whatever the case is, and you can follow us there. But, folks, we have a great show lined up for you tonight, and I'm going to get right into it. JB, I am proud and privileged to be joined tonight by the one and only it was awesome. So amazing. <laughs> he doesn't cut, so that makes him funnier. Michael is the ideal act. He's clean. He's accessible by everyone. They understand his jokes. They get it. You seen him on the Tonight Show with Jay Leno, talented young comedian, very funny man, Michael Jr. Folks, we're proud to be joined by the one and only Michael Jr. Michael, how are you doing this evening, sir? I'm fabulous. Great. Awesome. How are you guys doing? <laughs> we're yes, doing. Sir. Was that a joke or was that serious? No, I am doing great. <laughs> now that, that's great to hear, Michael. Listen, we really appreciate you uh, taking some time out of your busy schedule. It's about dinner time over there in in L.A., so thanks for joining us. Um, and you know, let's get right into this. Uh, you know, I've been a fan of yours for for quite a while now, and uh, I'm curious, what exactly inspired you to get into comedy in the first place? And uh, and when did you know that you were going to end up being a comedian? Uh, well, the end isn't here yet, so um, <laughs> I, I, I still don't really. I still don't really know for sure if comedy is the, but I, I, I've been funny since, you know, from the gate, you know, ever since I was in, in school, I was strategically funny. I was always funny. Uh, when I say strategic, I mean, I would never do anything that was, that wasn't funny enough to make the teacher laugh because, you know, a laughing teacher doesn't send you to the principal's office, which is great. Oh, of course. Um, <laughs> so I've always been very strategic with the funny. I guess the moment that I really, really knew that I was funny or knew I could do this uh, full-time. I was actually at a club in Fort Wayne, Indiana, and I got heckled by this guy. It was an all-white audience, and I got heckled by this guy in the back of the room who had more twang than I can explain. He said, uh, at Michael Jr., I was wondering, why do all black people look alike? That's what he said to me. And the whole crowd froze. They didn't know how I was going to respond, get mad for a chair. I didn't even know how I was going to respond. Um... In fact, when I said the words that I said, I didn't even think them. I was when I said them, I was hearing them for the first time. I said, um, so he said to me, Michael Jr., why do all black people look alike? And I was like, we don't all look alike. You just got to cut the eye holes in your sheet a lot bigger. 
Wow. And how did the car react to that? And the place exploded in laughter. The guy who actually said it stood up on his chair and gave me a standing ovation. So it was really pretty. And I wasn't at the, at the time, I wasn't even headlining yet. So uh, it was really kind of at that moment that I saw it. Because, you know, in that moment, there's a lot of choices, a lot of things that could happen. And, you know, there's somebody somewhere who could understand any of them, whether it be getting mad or a chair, whatever the case yeah. may be. But instead, uh, I just chose to use the gift that God has given me. And, uh, and it just changed the whole room from where it could have went to where it actually went. So it was really cool. Right. No, that's definitely interesting. And, you know, you mentioned God, and one thing that, that fascinates me about you is that you're a clean comic. And, uh, you know, as far as comedy goes, that seems to be pretty rare nowadays. You turn on the radio, uh, whether it's serious or whatever the case is, hear a lot of things that are, I'd say, a bit inappropriate, but people seem to like it. Have you always been a clean comedian? I mean, did you grow up in a Christian home, or how did all that come about? No, I did comedy. I was doing comedy long before I went to church, and uh, or before I even knew it. Really had a relationship with God, and uh, it was it was already clean. I'd actually made a pact with a friend when I was fourteen years old to stop cursing, and um, and it just kind of stuck. It just kind of stuck. So even throughout my my uh, high school years and and uh, young as an adult, I just never even cursed. And then when I found out. About Jesus and how phenomenal he is, I, I realized that it was probably uh, it was really just a setup from the beginning. Like because my comedy was always clean, it was uh, it was easy. It just made sense to to use it in the way God wanted to, wanted me to all along. So, right, right. With that, yeah. With that said, Michael, what what comedians actually inspire you? Um, I don't know. I kind of like Michael Junior. He sends me money and stuff. <laughs> well. Um, I, I like uh, I like Ellen DeGeneres. I think she's hysterical. Um, Bill Cosby is really good, and then uh, Martin Lawrence. Just a lot of different styles of comedy and different things that they do. But I never really watched when I first started doing comedy. I never really watched other comedians, and I didn't understand why. Like there wasn't even an attraction for me to watch other comedians. I just uh, I remember listening to Eddie Murphy as a child and thinking um, that he was really, really, really funny. But I, none, I wouldn't say any of them really inspired me. I actually stopped watching comedy for a while, and I think it was because it was I needed to get my own voice and really find out who I was and not have so many uh, exterior influences. So now that I have that voice and I'm pretty confident in it, now I love watching uh, some of those that I just mentioned and a lot of others too, so it's kind of cool. Does it, does it bother you that some comedians need to curse to be funny? Nope, not at all. I got no? some friends who cuss all the time. They do cuss, and the stuff is funny. I just choose not to, but the, the cool thing is is that at shows or afterwards, some of my comedians, some names that you would know, actually will say to me, so how do you get your act, how do you get your act clean? And I'm like, I'm not acting. I'm just, you know, so it's kind of cool that I have an opportunity to, to uh, let them know why my comedy is the way it is, which is absolutely because of God, but uh, um, it's also uh you know, it's kind of cool because a lot of guys will ask me how do I, you know, they just want to know how I do this. But I've always been clean, and now there's a reason behind the funny, which is, you know, God's reason. So it's kind of right, cool, right. man. I dig it. <laughs> now, That's it? You're just going you to go into silence for a couple awkward <laughs> seconds like that? Okay. Yeah, I thought that would be funny, too. <laughs> <laughs> but, Mike, you've been on, like, some big shows like, you know, The Tonight Show, Jimmy Kimmel, Conan <laughs> Bryan. Give us uh, yeah, your take on those, that experience. 
Oh, this, course. this is definitely this is as big as it gets. This is definitely number four behind the Tonight Show, Jimmy Kimmel, you know, Conan O'Brien. Tell us, uh, you know, just tell us your experience on those shows. Uh, it was great, man. Those guys are really, really cool. Uh, I'll be gearing up to do a another one or another big night set soon after we release this uh, comedy special. But uh, it's been it's great. Jay Leno is probably nicer than he appears to be on on stage on TV, and then uh. Conan's really, really just, uh, or I'm sorry, Jimmy Kimmel, very funny dude, very, very funny. And uh, I was doing comedy at a church, and he actually had to mention it on the show. He was like, Michael will be performing at Zoe Christian Fellowship in Whittier, California. It was funny because then during a the commercial break, he looks over at me and says, how do you do comedy at a church? I was like, uh, well, first got to do the setup, then you do the punchline. So... <laughs> kind of how it works. That's how so, it works. Uh, but he's a he's a great guy. I mean, he's just a really, really, really fun dude and funny too. I love it when I see guys who are actually really bringing the funny, uh, successful like that. It's great. Right, right. That's cool. And I'm looking at my notes here. Tell us a little bit because I have no idea what this says on my uh, my notes. The George Wallace story. Okay. Yeah, I don't know what that is either. Uh, you, want me, you want me to give you his uh, biography or something? Yeah, go ahead. No, 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 yeah, no, well, no. The, the question is, is, the question is supposed to be. George a young black man growing up in Georgia. He was a young black man who grew up in Georgia. And, uh, Wait a second, Michael. Wait a second. My, my, my foolish partner, the question is supposed to be, um, if you can tell us any experiences or stories you may have had, uh, you know, getting on shows like The Tonight Show, now, in parentheses, it says George Wallace story, but he wasn't supposed to read that out loud. You know, obviously, you know, he's not too bright right now. But do you have any funny stories about maybe getting booked on The Tonight Show or, or any of these other shows? Okay, here's a note. Uh, so when you're interviewing a comedian, you should never say, hey, do you have any funny stories? Because then people are looking for funny throughout the whole story, and it might just be a story. So you're going to have to try it again. Very good again. All right, Michael, do you have any stories you can share with us about, just, you know, being on these shows, anything that's not remotely yeah, funny at yeah. all? Yeah, In fact, oh, great, great. See, but you can't put the word funny in the question because it, it heightens the anticipation of the funny. I'm just helping you out, <laughs> right? I'm just letting you know, since you went backstage and mentioned that he was reading the wrong part, I'm just going to let you know that you can't say funny in the question when dealing with funny. So go ahead, try it again. All right, Michael, do you have any stories that you can share with us about anything, uh, you know, in, in general, just something that really could, uh, you know, the audience could sink their teeth into? Uh, you mean like a funny story? Um, <laughs> yeah. if, if that's the case, I mean, you know, it doesn't have to be funny. It could be completely serious. Uh, right. That's, that's, that's great. In fact, let's back it up a little more. Why don't you make it say, hey, do you have any serious stories? And then that way, when it's funny, it'll really shock everybody. Try it that way. All right. Michael, uh do you have any serious stories that are just completely uh, something that really will just make move the audience to tears? Anything of that nature? Uh, well, I do comedy, so I was hoping that's why you not, didn't have me on the show. But as long as you mentioned it, George Wallace, when he was a kid, he, nice. grew, up as, he grew up as a black kid, and uh, it's pretty phenomenal. No, no, no. So the stories he's referring <laughs> to is uh, I was at a club. What happened? Um, oh yeah, yeah. I'm at this club in Los Angeles, beautiful, beautiful club. It's called the Comedy and Magic Club. It's a really hard club to get into. First time I ever walk in the club, like, they don't let any, just any comedians in, into this club. Like, they got, like, Jerry Seinfeld is down there on a regular basis. Well, this in particular night, 
comedian George Wallace. If you guys don't know who George Wallace is, my favorite George Wallace joke is when he says he was in China and he bought a pair of shoes. He looked at the bottom of them and it said, made right around the corner. <laughs> nice. <laughs> I love that's George Wallace. That's kind of funny. That's somewhat humorous. Awesome. Thanks for just announcing your reaction to the joke instead of actually laughing. <laughs> you just going to announce it. <laughs> no, Michael, I have another question for you. <laughs> I have another question no, for you. I ain't even done with the story. I ain't even done with the oh, story. Sorry. Uh, oh, sorry. Forgive me. You thought the story ended right there? I thought. I mean, you know, I, I'm, I'm sorry. Forgive me. Dang, no, it's okay. I ain't mad at You guys need to be alone? <laughs> no, <laughs> no, 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 no. We're good. So now I'm going to start over. So I'm at this club <laughs> in Los Angeles. No, I'm just playing. The story's not, not going to be that great. So go ahead. Well, at this point, how could it possibly be that great? We spent ten minutes talking about the story and setting it up. Exactly, too much setup. You always mess up a story. What's your question? Go ahead, go. <laughs> My question is, uh, can you uh, can you share with us a little bit about a documentary you made called uh, "Comedy: The Road Less Traveled"? Uh, obviously, you wrote it, you produced it, and whatnot. Um, where did the idea come from for the documentary? Uh. You know, I was this is hilarious. This is hilarious because it starts the same way. It started at the same club, so um, I was at that club and I was performing. And, and uh, right before I hit the stage, I was headlining that night. Right before I hit the stage, I had a change in mindset. You know how Romans twelve two says, "Be not conformed to the ways of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind." I was about to hit the stage, and I did a prayer, and in an instant, God like gave me a change of mindset about comedy. Because most of the time when a comedian gets on stage, he wants to get laughs from people. I was completely about all of that. And then uh, God said, no, don't, instead of going up there to get laughs from people, go up there to give them an opportunity to laugh. So it changed everything. So I go out, I do my show. I'm outside. People want autographs, and they're smiling and laughing. They're around me, telling me their favorite jokes. It's pretty much the same thing every, every time I leave that club. But this time... While I'm talking to the people, I look across the street, and I saw a homeless guy. Now, I had never seen a homeless guy before outside this club, ever. But but that doesn't mean he wasn't there before, right? That just means that before my mindset was to get laughter from people, so why would I even notice this homeless guy? Right, right. So I noticed him, and I was like, what about him? How could I give him an opportunity to laugh? And that's really where the whole documentary idea came from. We went to uh, four locations across the country and just looked to bring comedy where it hadn't been before. So we went to Fort Worth, Texas, a place called the Samaritan House, where everyone there was homeless and they have HIV. Went to Montrose, Colorado, where they, uh, this a dolphin house takes care of abused children, brought them some comedy. Went to Skid Row in Los Angeles and uh, brought some guys into the Union Rescue Mission, did a comedy show for those guys. And But first we got their stories. They told us their stories uh, to the point of tears, some of them, and then they... Uh, and basically told us how they couldn't laugh, and then we did a comedy show for them, and they, and we got to see them break through and laugh. We went to an, a youth prison. We also went to an adult prison. Now, the adult prison is not in the film, but I love telling the story because it kind of shows how God will have your back no matter what. So I walk into, right. this, adult, I walk into this prison, and the warden, the first thing he does, he takes my belt from me, and he says to me, he says, you can't have a belt. Somebody might try to hang you. I was like, ooh. Why you got to hang a brother? Can't you just boo me or something? Why you got to hang me? So uh, and they give me a little black box with a pin in it. And it says, if anyone tries to attack you, pull the pin out and we'll come help you. I'm like, pull the, I'm going to pull the pin out right now. What are, you, what are you talking about? Pull the pin. So I'm, <laughs> so I'm scared for real. So 
um, I walk in there, and my comedy normally starts out slow, but I realize I'm going to need to start much faster so these guys can laugh much faster so we can have a good time as opposed to things getting really ugly. So I walk in there, and I know I need a joke immediately, and I walk in, and all of the guys have on pink jumpsuits. But I ain't saying nothing about their pink jumpsuits because all of them got a pink jumpsuit on. It just don't make right. sense to mention so then I'm searching for a joke. I had a joke come to my head, but I was afraid to say it. I was going to say, you know, you guys are a captive audience. I appreciate that. Right? But I was afraid to say it. It just wasn't going to work out. So instead, I walk in and sit right in front of a white guy with a white beard named Moses. And in that moment, I was like, wow, this is awesome. Thanks, God. So I looked at Moses, and when I said these words, the place exploded and laughed, and we had an amazing time. I said, Moses, this is what I want you to do. I want you to look the prison warden right in his eye. Next time you see him, look him right in his eye, and I want you to say, let my people go. And, uh, <laughs> and that was it. The place exploded in laughter. We had an amazing time. We made the documentary. It's called Comedy, The Road Less Travel, and it's available. Uh, well, the, the best place to get it is my website because I get more money for it when you get there. So michaeljr.com. Right. You know, t- typically that, that, that would be a good road to go now. Um, can you tell us a little bit more about it in terms of uh, – the places you, you went, I mean, you mentioned prisons and whatnot, but how do you feel that this film will inspire or, or help other people, you know, out of all the places and the things that you've done in the film? Uh, help the people at the locations or help, what do you mean? No, I'm saying, let, let's say, like, I, the people in general, the masses, the public, the people who are going to watch this, because obviously, you know, the, the documentary has done its film, so you've, you've touched the people that you saw, but... In terms of somebody who may pick this up, you know, buy it from your website or, you know, buy it wherever, come across it, how do you feel that the documentary will help to inspire people or to help others? Uh, well, I think it's already doing it. Uh, when people see it, they're, they're moved to do something more because, you know, there's there's a pretty, I mean, it's pretty rare that someone doesn't fit into the realm of taking their gift somewhere between a comedian and a, and a homeless person. I mean, if you can, if you're a good if you're a teacher, you can take your gift. You can teach some kids who care for a tutor how to tutor. So everyone kind of fits in in there. Uh, there was a uh, a ballet teacher in Orlando who saw the film, and after seeing it, she was so inspired. She she understood what to do. She decided to uh, to open up her ballet studio on Wednesday nights to teach homeless children how to how to dance ballet. So uh, that was pretty cool. And she sent me pictures and. So this film really motivates people, and it, it just kind of shows people how much their gift, regardless to what it is, whether it be dancing or or, or comedy or, I don't know, even a plumber, it doesn't matter. If you have a gift or a skill, there's other people around you who could really, really use it. And I'm pretty sure you'll find out by giving it to um, other people, you'll really be blessed as a result of it. So I think that's the one of the biggest message, messages people take from the film. So that's probably why a lot of churches are – are using it to show their people. Some corporations are even using it to show their people and uh, get them inspired to do more as opposed to just, you know, it's just, it's just about a mindset from, from trying to get, you know, uh, to trying to, to look for an opportunity to give. So I think that's what people really take away from it. Wow. That's deep, deep stuff. That's, that is good stuff. Mike, you've also mentioned, you know, that uh, when you were trying to comment in the prison, that was a, you know, rough crowd. Would you say that, uh, was there any other place that you felt like it was just a, a tough place to get people to laugh? Well, the prison was tough. I mean, it wasn't so much. It was just, it was scary, and it was tough at first, but comedy loosens people up. So by the end of it, we had an amazing time. I got a standing ovation. 
I was just at a uh, homeless shelter in Kent, in uh, North Dakota, uh, three days ago, and then we went and did one in. Uh, we were doing a big fundraiser in Canada, and I stopped in. I stopped by a homeless shelter and uh, prison as well, and um, it just brought the funny. Because what I've learned is, you know, I, you know, I've got to give. God has given me the ability to make people laugh, and but more importantly, God is, you know, He sent His Son to die for me, so He's accepted me in a big, big way. So most comedians, whether they know it or not, the reason they're on stage is because they want some sort of acceptance. I mean, that's just, that's really what it is. They want acceptance. So, uh, but I realize how much God has accepted me, and now I can, instead of trying to get people to laugh and using that as acceptance, I, uh, I've i shifted it, and I understand that I can go to a homeless shelter, even if the people don't laugh hugely large like they do at a theater that I may be performing at. But it's okay because at least they're in a room where some people are laughing and the atmosphere has changed to some degree. So if they're not laughing at a 10, I'm okay. If they're laughing at only a three, if it's only a smile, it's okay because at least they're smiling and they know somebody in this room cares enough about them to get up on stage and uh, bring their gift to them. So that's really what it what it's about. Cause you have no idea how you affect somebody. Whether it's, it's not about what they look like on the outside, it's about how they may be getting affected on the inside. And you know what's really cool is that you've really affected a lot of different people, and you've also written, you know, a children's book, uh, The Parts We Play. So what inspired you to write that? You know, the book was really, uh, I just, I was actually walking through a parking lot one day, and it was a Mexican guy and a white guy, I'm sorry, a Mexican guy and a black dude walking together, and they were having a discussion about someone that they had an altercation with. It was at a college, I think, and, and he said, uh, he said to the, to the other guy, he said, man, he doesn't know me, I'm from the hood. That's all he said, and I'm walking through a parking lot at the time. I'm like, from the hood? Is it a car hood? Is it a, is it a <laughs> truck hood? What hood is he from? So I took that little thought process and kind of turned it into a whole children's book that's about a little girl who's on her way to the fun park with her dad, and a car breaks down, and we see that the car parts are complaining. They're not doing their job. Uh, the muffler's like, man, I'm exhausted. And the uh, the, the spark plug is like, um, and the battery's like, be quiet, I'm in charge, I'm in charge, and and the spark plug is like, you don't know me, I'm from under the hood. And uh, the voice of reason is the radiator, trying to keep everybody cool. So all these parts are complaining, they're not doing their job, and, and then uh, and then they realize if they're truly going to make any progress, they have to work together because the father gets out the car and explains this to him. The father says to him, why won't you do what I need you to do? I take care of you. I keep you covered and protected. I never let you go through more than you can stand. So they hear this, and they realize they have to work together, but it could be too late. Because the tow truck pulls up to take the car away. If this happens, the little girl won't be able to get to the fun park. Will she get to the fun park? I don't know. They're going to have to buy the book. Oh. <laughs> and it's at MikeJr.com. I was going to say, let me guess, off your website, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Here's another note. So you want to, uh, instead of saying website, you probably want to say the website. probably takes about the yeah. same amount of time. <laughs> MikeJr.com. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> Michael, <laughs> listen, we really appreciate you taking some time out for us. Uh, you know, it's definitely an honor to have you on. And, um, you know, you're one of my favorite comedians. We we had Thor Ramsey on about two weeks ago. I'm not sure if, you, if you're familiar with him, but, uh, you yeah. know, he's another good uh, good Christian comic or comic, but just, he just happens to be Christian. Where can the fans, um, other than MichaelJr.com, where can the fans like, get a hold of you and, uh, you know, keep in touch with you and, and find out where you're going to be performing at? 
Do you want me to give him my phone number or something? We, we, we uh, that would be good, actually. I mean, awesome. <laughs> yeah. I'm on a. I'm on. I'm on a. I actually just I saved up some money and got a Facebook account. Oh, cool. So they want to find me on Facebook, Michael Junior Fans. I think it's Facebook slash Michael Junior Fans. And then of course I'm on Twitter, Michael Jr. Comedy. I'm on Twitter, and I actually am the one who uh, updates and answers and responds to people's stuff. It's me. It's not just some staff and people, but it's it's me. That, that, so that's actually, always a that's always a plus. Did you get a lot of feedback from the fans on Twitter? I mean, I know you have a lot of fans on there, but do people uh, interact with you a lot? Yeah, absolutely. I don't know about a lot. Everybody does. But, I, you know, I'm always just looking to send out funny because what happens is a lot of times you get a lot of neg- negative stuff from TV and the news, and I just look for an opportunity to bring some funny to somebody's uh, to somebody's desktop or, or maybe on their cell phone and just hit them with some funny and some inspiration and just have a good time that way with it. So, that's really uh, what I love to do. So right. they can hit me up on Facebook or Twitter, and I'll bring the funny, and it'll be awesome. Yeah, I have to admit, one of my fun, one of my favorite uh, skits of yours on the on the web is the one that the Bluetooth. You know, when you go in there, you have an idea, and then you, you have that whole. Oh uh, yeah, BlackBerry, BlackBerry. That, yeah, that, that was that was hilarious. Uh, what inspired you to do that one? I mean, you get inspiration from other people. Is, let me put it this way: Is it all you? Or do you talk to your friends and maybe they'll say something funny and you'll play off that? Or, or is it all just you doing your thing on your own? I uh, I really come up with a lot of the stuff and then I may talk to friends to develop it and um, and expand it a little bit. For the most part, I'm always writing down ideas that I may come up with randomly. Or, so I just write it down like that when I was just looking at a uh, – I can't remember what happened with Blackberry. I think I was just – I think a friend just had a Blackberry, and I looked at it. I was like, Blackberry? Berry's a name. I know a black dude. Hmm. So then we put the whole Blackberry thing, put it up on YouTube. It's getting a lot of love like the other ones that we uh, have as well. Right, right. I just have to throw that one out there because it's one of my favorites. And, uh, you know, again, Michael, I really appreciate you taking the time out to, to come on the show, and hopefully we'll be able to, to have you on again to have, you know, completely serious conversations that have nothing to do with comedy and just, you know. Just be serious for wow, a while. Yeah. Just talk. Wow, that'd be that'll be a lot of unfun. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Michael, thanks again. I really appreciate it. Yo, thank you, man. Alright. Take care. Folks, right. that was the one yep. and only, the legendary, the man, the myth, Michael Junior. Well, he's not a myth because he's a real person, but Michael Junior, you can check him out on Twitter, Michael Junior Comedy. That's actually where I was able to get in touch with him. Uh you can also, of course, check him out Facebook dot com forward slash Michael Jr. fans, and of course, his website, michaeljr.com. You know, one of the questions that I should have asked him, Joe, is where the name Michael Jr. came from. That's something that I always uh, I was always curious about. I mean, is he a junior? Did, did he just run out of names? I, I just don't understand. Well, usually you associate Michael, you know, a junior because your father was named Michael, so, you know, you feel like he's Michael Jr., there's always the possibility. And, folks, uh, you know, before we move on with the show, I'd actually like to play something for you, a couple of clips here of Michael Jr. so you can get a better understanding of his comedy. I yes. watch people in my comedy. That's what I do. I notice when I move to Los Angeles, I notice everybody there drinks bottled water. I'm not paying for no water. It's free. <laughs> and they try to tell me the California tap water is bad for you. I've been drinking the tap water since I moved there. I haven't noticed any problems with me. Not to mention, I've been drinking the tap water since I moved there. I haven't noticed any problems with me. Hey, don't even work on that joke right there. Just 
just let it go. Just, just let it go. So my comedy, well, all I do really is I watch people. I pay close attention to people. And I ask the question, why? And I just look at them and be like, well, why did you do that? Like uh, college students, right? Take somebody who goes to a nice school, anywhere in the country. Ask them what school they go to. You get a nice, quick answer. What school you go to? USC? Nice, quick answer. New York University. What school you go to? NYU? Ask somebody to go to community college. You get a much longer response, don't you? What school you go to? Well, see right now, um... <laughs> What I'm doing, I'm going to get a couple of credits, right? Get my financial aid. Um, my cousin's going to let me use his books, man. Um, you thirsty? You want some Kool-Aid or something? I got some Kool-Aid. You thirsty? Folks, again, that was the one and only Michael Jr. And JB, I have to admit, that was quite the interview. It sure was. I mean, we got to plug his show about 400 different times, his website 400 times. And he did, you know, I, I, out of all the stuff that he did say, I did take that he did say our show was the fourth most entertaining show in America. So that that's a compliment. Yeah, well, did he say that or did we say that? Because I, I don't, you know, I, I don't really remember. I, I could, you know, we go back to and listen to the replay. I'm pretty sure he said we're the fourth best. Hmm, hmm, interesting, interesting. <laughs> now, of course, folks, uh, you know, we're here on Pure Gold. We do it all. We do comedy. We do uh, action. We do adventure. I mean, this is this is a, a type of show where you get everything. You get sports. You get wrestling. Speaking of which, Monday Night Raw is going on right now, and Joe and I could not care less. Just had to throw that out there. Joe. Yeah. Let's talk a little bit. Real quick, uh, one wrestling note that I wanted to throw out there before we move on to other things. Last Thursday night on Impact, or not-so-impactful wrestling. Right, right. Bobby Roode became yeah. the TNA World Heavyweight Champion of the world and America and Europe and the rest of the world. <laughs> Give us your thoughts on that, sir, because we talked at length. I actually blogged about it on our website, puregopg.com. Um I blogged about it. I talked about it. How the W, the sorry, TNA had dropped the ball with Rude when they didn't make him the champion originally, and then to give it to, you know, a Bound for Glory, then to give it to Storm that the Thursday in a pre-taped show, and then to give it to two weeks later to Rude. And the worst part, Joe, is that it happened like last, you know, two weeks ago. So basically, two weeks ago, we were treated with with this thing that, that didn't air until last Thursday. So other than the fact that taping television sucks, and then you know everything and the, the spoilers and all. That, how in the world was TNA able to botch this up, sir? They had a perfect tailor-made job. They had a perfect story that could have gone out for months, dragged it out. It could have been amazing. It could have been epic. It could have been awesome, like all the comedy on com. But you know what, sir? It's not. They botched it up. No, this is To me, this is indefensible. How any TNA fan can sit there and say, this is great, I have no clue. Joe, take it away, sir. I mean, let's let's take it back a couple steps. I think that... TNA dropped the ball way before all the stuff that you just explained. I mean, the Bound for Glory series is just a a, a like three or four month uh, event just to get to your world title, uh, just to get a world title match at the Bound for Glory pay per view. So the fact that they had Rude, you know, win the series and then actually lose to Kurt Angle at the pay per view to me made no sense because the guy was, you know, building momentum. Everyone was rooting for him, and then he just loses. And then, you know, you tell me some things that, uh, you know, I try not to pay attention to all the stuff in the backstage. You're telling me that Hulk Hogan says that Rude 
is not the future of the company, and it's actually Storm. And that, to me, I disagree with because I like Rude better. So then, right. you, you know, you have somehow you have a, a three-second match between Angle. I guess maybe Angle might be hurt. And Storm yeah, wins the title. Yeah, Storm wins the title, and they make this huge, big celebration about it. And maybe two weeks later, Storm decides that his first title match is going to be against his tag team partner. Well, okay, Mr. Rude. So they build this. They build this match. They, uh, you know, they. It's okay. I just don't understand how the finish makes any sense to happen so fast. I mean, you have a lovey dovey beer money. They're going to fight. They're going to do it in the spirit of competition. And then at the very end, you have Rude basically use the beer bottle that Storm, ha- you know, brings to the ring, and is able to, you know, hit him over the head with it, and then capture the world title that way. To me, you botched up the story 400 different times before it got to that. So, uh, am I surprised? Not really. Am I disappointed? Not really. It's TNA. Uh, but then again, all wrestling these days disappoints me, DG. So, I mean, I agree. The storyline should have been dragged out over months. It was dragged over over two weeks. So. That's 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 wrestling in a nutshell these days. But Joe, this you're talking about this could have been epic. This could have been great. This could have been the type of thing that roped you in, that got you involved, that really made TNA just an interesting watch. And instead, they botched it in two weeks. Hogan said on Busted Open that Rude wasn't the future of the company, but that there was a bigger story and in, in, in to unfold. Okay, yeah, maybe Hulk. That's possibly true. But to basically, you know. Slop it up out of nowhere, give Storm the title, then give Rude the title. Again, you know, you mentioned the beer bottle, the smashing over the head. There was no, there was no type of uh, build-up. There was no type of story. Just literally he cheats at the end. It wasn't even like a frustration. There was nothing shown. This could have gone on, and it could have been great, sir, and I just don't understand how TNA continues to, you know, bleed or hemorrhage money and, and they continue to pay people to come up with this garbage. Yeah, I mean – you, I, I usually watch TNA just for the main event angles or the main storyline because, like, there's so much bad stuff about TNA. I mean, I DVR on Thursdays just to fast-forward through it the next day or even over the weekend because, you know, like I was telling you in our production meeting, you, you have Eric Bischoff and his son now fighting with each other, and Bischoff is begging for a match with his son because his son disrespected him. To me, that makes no sense. I mean, you look at the build of his son, and his son might be able to kick, you know, his father's butt in the ring because he's younger, but he has no build to be, you know, anything but a light heavyweight champion. He's not that big. He's not that good on the mic. It's just uh, just another way of, you know, them corrupting TNA with, like, people like Bischoff and trying to get his son into, you know, some kind of storyline besides being a referee on TNA. Uh. I don't get it, sir. I honestly just don't understand how these people, you know, how these people stay in business. I don't understand TNA. I mean, you know, I don't want to spend too much time with it. I don't want to get too into it. I just have to say that it's just an absolute slop fest. And for the Patton New Jersey's and all those guys who call Busted Open who love TNA no matter what, this is to me, this is indefensible, horrible garbage. And TNA is an absolute joke. Yeah. I also think it's a sad state of affairs in the WWE world, too, DG. I mean, let's face it. Right now, it's Monday night. We're doing PG instead of watching Raw. It's obviously taped, so we know what happened. But, sir, we're only two weeks away from Survivor Series and the return of The Rock, the great one. And we don't even care about that, to be honest with you. I mean, it's just bad all around. You, Why don't you just go on a rant, because I love your rants. Why don't you go on a rant on the fact that John Cena was able to manhandle the the heel faction of Miz and Truth. You know, that 
I don't even know if I want to go there, sir, because because this may turn into you know what Michael Jr. was talking about unclean comedy. It was just bad, you know the way the way that they've they've booked things. You know, you're gonna tell me that John Cena needs help. You're gonna tell me that John Cena needs The Rock to help him. First of all, the fact that The Rock was booked as his partner months in advance is ridiculous. Yeah, you want to sell tickets? Just say, hey, The Rock is gonna be at Survivor Series in some capacity. Don't say he's gonna be partners with John Cena because that kills the whole mystique of it. Then when you finally have him asked to be partner, you see Cena spitting all over himself, spitting all over the microphone, an absolute disgrace. Cena manhandled. He mugged Truth and Miz last week. Why in the world? Why in the blue heck? Do we need The Rock to team up with John Cena? Is it going to be great to see The Rock in the WWE ring as opposed to just on my television screen on the PS3? Yeah, it's going to be great, but the facts are the facts and the numbers don't lie. Rock is selling out arenas, making money for the WWE hand over fist, but the story stuck. The fans are going to lose interest. Nobody cares about John Cena except the five-year-old fans, the girls, the women who think he's hot, and all the people who watch his F-list movies, horrible, disgusting disgraces of American cinema, if you can even call them that. Like Chad said last week, John Cena does movies. No. No, sir, he does not. Michael Jr. does movies. I can make movies. What he does is a joke. It's an abomination. What he does in the WWE ring is an absolute disgrace. You know what? I'm sick of John Cena. I'm sick of the WWE. All I can say is that come Survivor Series, come the 20th, when I'm watching that show, when I'm plunking down money that I can't afford on a show that's not going to be worth watching, I better see John Cena go heel. And if he does not go heel... I am going to go nuts on that show that week when we have uh, Justin, not Justin, Josh Eisenberg from ChairShotRealityWrestleZone.com. I'm going to go nuts. I'm going to go heel. I'm going to hit him with a chair. I'm going to hit you with a chair. I'm going to lay everybody out with a steel chair because if John Cena does not go heel, the Survivor Series is going to suck. WrestleMania is going to blow. And this angle that could have been the biggest thing ever is going to be an absolute waste of space. Yes, the ratings have just shot up through the roof because DG has gone on a rant that we all can say we all agree upon. That was a good job, sir. And you have to, <laughs> you have to admit too, DG, the fact that um, wait, 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 what is the point? <laughs> yeah, there is no point in that one. You're right. I'm just gonna skip that and just mention that you know Shad's interview, the interview that we had with him here on Pure Gold last week. Uh, the transcript can be seen uh, or read on WrestleZone.com. Is that correct, sir? Yes, sir. It is on WrestleZone.com. Our friend Justin Labar was able to put that up there. You know, it's interesting, and I, I got to touch on this for a second. First of all, that rant was totally inspired by you because I didn't have a rant. I didn't realize that I had so much, so much of a rant on the inside. But when you said you wanted a rant, you know what? It just came from the guts, from the underbelly. It just came out, and I was inspired to rant. But nice. you can check out the transcript of our Shad Gaspard interview. Some of it's there. And it links back to the show, so Justin was able to do us that favor, which is great. What I find interesting, sir, what I find absolutely interesting is that so guys underneath it, I'm not going to name names, but the comments underneath here are absolutely insane. You know, there's a part where Chad said that uh, watching him at WrestleMania, you know you were literally watching the man wrestle. He's talking about The Undertaker. Well, the man is not capitalized and it's not in quotations. So the guys are focusing on the fact that, they, 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 that the man, it, it totally threw them off. That's all that they were thinking about. That, that, that's it. They focused on that. All the people who comment, it's like 21 comments, you know. I, I just don't understand it, you know. And then you see here, you got some comments here about uh, Randy Orton. It's a front stabber, huh? Well, I'm pretty sure Ken Anderson will say something different. Yeah, another guy saying, I think this is the first interview I've heard in which someone speaks positively about John Laurinaitis. Uh, 
somebody put here, apparently Booker T is now teaching color commentary lessons and Shad is his first student. Um, then, of course, the idea, I think he meant John is trash. I mean, these people are going nuts, but a lot of them are focusing on the fact that the transcript wasn't written grammatically correctly, so that, that's all they focused on. What kind of fans do they have over on WrestleZone.com? What kind of people are these? That's what I want to know. Yeah, the real focus should be on the fact that Shad is giving us uh, some real insight on our show, which was a great, you know, we always think it's always a fresh a breath of fresh air that, you know, somebody tells it like it is, and Shad really did tell it like it is. So people at WrestleZone.com should really focus on the fact that Shad was not sugarcoating anything and was just telling it like it is, like we do here on Pure Gold. Yeah, they went nuts about the whole how he says John Cena is John Cena. You know, he's the best John Cena. Can be. They went nuts on that. You you read that, okay, whatever. It may seem a certain way, but when you listen to it, you hear the context of what he's saying, and you hear, you know what? You form your own opinions when you listen to the show from last Tuesday, but maybe maybe Shad's not too fond of him, or maybe he is. Who knows? But you get the sense he loves Randy Orton. You get the sense that he admires The Undertaker. You get the sense that John Laurinaitis is the greatest thing since sliced bread. John Cena, not so much. You know, and again, of course, we appreciate Chad who gave us some time last week. But, sir, look, we're running out of time here. I don't want to go nuts. I could sit here and rant and rave like a lunatic, as you just heard. The point is, listen to Chad's interview. Listen to all our interviews. This is the best show ever. And for those of you WrestleZone.com wackos of fans out there, wonderful wrestling fans who are either out of their minds or just totally, you know, on another planet, or guys like us who know what we're talking about, you can hear Justin Labar, close personal friend of ours. I think Joe's the best friend. Uh, and, of course, for the first time ever, you can hear Josh Eisenberg. They're going to be joining us the week before and the week after the Survivor Series, so that should be interesting. And if I go nuts, like I just did five minutes ago, that interview with Justin Labar is going to be great. That interview with Josh Eisenberg is going to be even better. It's going to be classic, sir. It's going to be classic PG. There you go. So moving on from sports entertainment, let's move on to some sports. And, sir, what a week it was for our two football teams my team first, because I played at 1 o'clock. You can give us your take on your team. But let me just say that the Jets went up to Buffalo this past week, well, yesterday, actually, and really played probably one of their most complete games of the season. Their defense was outstanding. Sanchez was kind of shaking Sanchez? the first half. Sanchez was kind of shaking the first half, I have to admit. But this this team's defense is really coming together, and I think that they needed to win. They tied basically they're in a virtual tie with the Patriots and the Bills now at five and three and they have a huge game coming up on Sunday night, November thirteenth, at home versus the New England Patriots. I don't know if the New England Patriots could actually lose four games in a row. We're gonna find out. I think the Jets are gonna be pumped up. We could discuss more about that. Well, no we can't discuss more about that because it's our own show of the week. So let me just tell you that I think the Jets will the Jets will come up pumped. And I think they actually will beat the Patriots. I think the Jets move into first place, sole possession, because the Jets are just playing such great defense. Obviously, the the Patriots' defense was exposed yesterday, sir. You, I mean, more than anything, I, I'm going to admit that the Giants' win impressed the heck out of me yesterday. Eli Manning had a great game, I thought, and I think that to go up there and beat the Patriots in New England, where they were like 20 and 0 the last 20 games, is also impressive. I, I mean, I agree. You know, what bugs me, and again, this is just me being, uh, I guess being a Mets fan really just makes you jaded and ruins your life, but, I mean, the Giants should have, that should have been a blowout. The fact that the Giants had to come back and have a great comeback victory, you know, a la Super Bowl 42, yada, yada, yada. We've heard all the comparisons. I think it's a bit exaggerated, but, I mean, the Giants came back, they won the game. Joe, that game should have been a blowout. They were up 10 to nothing. 
Then, you know, they, they muffed a punt, three points, and they come back and muff another punt. I mean, that could have literally been a complete turnaround. The fact that the Giants were ever losing in this game was a disgrace. The first half, it, it, they were dominant with the defense. You know, nobody scored. It was a great half of football. It's basically like watching a pitcher's duel for the first, like, seven or eight innings. It was wonderful. Not sure how much of the game you were able to catch. But then after that, the Giants, you know, scoring back and forth. Sir, the Giants should have been up 17 to nothing, and instead they were looking at 10 to 3 with the Patriots at the ball back. You know, the Patriots took the lead, Giants came back, boom, boom, boom. They they won the game ultimately, which is all that matters. But you know, I'm just I'm not thrilled with the team. I'm not thrilled with how they're playing. They're not playing complete football. You talked about the Jets playing a complete game. Well, the Giants are just, you know, if, if they play that complete game, you're talking about the Giants win 24 to 3. I think that would have been the final score. But instead, you know, we looked at that 24-20 game. You know, Giants came back, all that goodness. Like I said, the most important thing is that they did it. But you know what, sir? It was a huge win. Ultimately, I guess that's all that matters. It was a huge win. Uh, Eli did a good job. The Giants' defense came up big. The offense scored when it had to. You know, Ballard's looking good. Uh, Manningham looked pretty good. Victor Cruz is looking good. So uh, I'm, I'm happy with that, sir. Our teams are both looking like they're in good position. I'm not sure about your talk earlier today. The Giants are going to the Super Bowl, but, you know, we'll, we'll see about that. Well, you know, I'm only saying that is because the Giants' defensive line is just so good, and I think that the Packers, yeah, they put up points like no other team can. But right now, um, if you're going to ask me in the NFC, I'm telling you that the Green Bay Packers are number one because of the defending Super Bowl champions and haven't lost since last year. And then I'm putting the Giants, even though they have two losses, as the second-best team in the NFC, even though the San Francisco 49ers, who the Giants play this week actually coming up, are only 7, they're 7-1, and one, but even though the Giants have two losses, I still think that they're a better team, and they're, they're about to find out on Sunday. Do you have any thoughts about San Fran versus the Giants, 4-15, this Sunday? Giants are going to win. That's, that's all i got to say. Giants are going to lock it down, throw away the key. They are going to lay the smack down on their candy butts there. The Giants are going to be the best team in the history of the world. They're going to win the Super Bowl. They're going to win every game for the rest of the year. Giants undefeated for the rest of the year. What do you think about that? That's really good. I mean, I think that the Giants can actually beat the San Francisco 49ers. And what's really good about this schedule this year is that the Giants will actually get to play the Green Bay Packers, too. So if the Giants were able to beat the San Francisco 49ers and the Green Bay Packers, then there's no doubt about it. The Giants are the best team in the NFC. And we're heading for potentially a classic of a game on Christmas Eve. Hopefully I'll be able to watch it <laughs> between the Giants and the Jets. Oh, of course. That's going to be classic, sir. Uh, I doubt that either one of us is going to get much of a chance to watch that with our families and whatnot. Now, I'm not sure what you do for Christmas, but I know for Christmas here at, at the, the Gomez house. Now, that's Christmas Day or Christmas Eve? Uh, that's Christmas Eve. Okay. Well, I don't know. I mean, maybe Christmas Eve I will be able to watch it if, you know, the wife still lets me. But uh, what do you do on Christmas Eve, sir? Do you, uh, you well, it's so weird, we're talking about Christmas, it's not even Thanksgiving, but do you guys all get together, or, or do you do Christmas Day? I mean, how does that work? Well, usually for, for my house, um, Christmas Eve is always done at my mother-in-law's house, because I used to always go to my parents for Christmas Day, so now we still go to Christmas Eve over at my mother's, mother-in-law's house. We eat uh, a late dinner, and I think sometimes we do midnight mass, depending on if Sabrina's awake, we'll go to uh, a midnight mass, come back and open some presents, and then, you know, Christmas Day is just a day with my family. So it's usually with my wife's family for Christmas Eve, Christmas Day with my family. Wow, that's definitely good stuff, sir. You're going to go see Neil from Belleville? Remember me? (laughs) I am. (laughs) 
That's good stuff there. So, <laughs> but you have to admit, though, so far, I mean, both football teams are really playing. I mean, they're they're getting better and better. At least, I mean, I know the Jets. I feel the same way, but I feel this way about the Jets is that they went through a rough stretch. They lost three road games, but I think they at least got their confidence back, and now they're playing a little bit better on offense, and their defense is playing much better. So. They really do have a chance on being the Patriots this Sunday night. Definitely, sir. Uh, what would your prediction be? Um, it's probably going to be in the 20s again. I mean, I think the Jets pull it off 24-23. Oh, so 24-20, they're going to go 24-23. you got to make that game a little bit more dramatic than the Giants-Patriots uh, <laughs> game. Is, is that what I you're do, telling I me? Do. <laughs> I'm of trying course. to, yes. Of course, uh, but definitely, uh, you know, we're both here. We're predicting. I, I mean, we never really root against our team, so it kind of <laughs> you're always going to hear us predict that our team is going to win. But I definitely right. believe that the uh, the Giants are going to get the job in this week against San Francisco, and you know, he's helping the Jets do it. Also, I'm not a big fan of it. Let me ask you this, uh, you know, I actually wanted to play a couple of clips of Michael Jr. before we close out the show. But where do you see Eli Manning in terms of his status in the league? Because I hear people talking about how he's, you know, he's number three right now in terms of stats. That's good. He's having a great year. But, you know, I don't think he's as great as everybody seems to think he is. I mean, they're talking that he's on the level of Brady or he's close to it. I mean, I, I just don't see it, sir. He's my quarterback on my team, and he won a Super Bowl for me, and I just don't see it. Yeah, I agree with you. I think he's on that second level. I, I still think I put, like, right now Aaron Rodgers is playing ridiculous at quarterback, and so is Tom Brady. So I have those two people, and maybe right underneath is Drew Brees because Drew Brees knows how to put up points, too. He's a good quarterback. And then you have that tier with like you know the middle of the road quarterbacks, and there's nothing, there's no knock on Eli Manning because he did win a Super Bowl, um, but he's I don't think he's that elite elite. Even though, do you know that when you spell the word elite, sir, you spell Eli? I I had no idea. Wow, that's that's awesome. <laughs> yeah. I'm sure that's going to go up on WrestleZone.com later on when the fans are going to say these guys can't spell. Look, they couldn't spell right. this thing. They couldn't spell the Undertaker. This and that. You know, uh, let's not even talk about that. Now, are you saying that he's in the class of someone like, let's say, uh, Philip Rivers? Um, I think he's better than Philip Rivers, to be honest with you. Philip Rivers, Rivers. Yeah, Philip Rivers. Um, I don't know if you ever see the guy throw a ball. He can't throw yeah, a spiral. Yeah. First of all, he can't throw a spiral. So, uh, I think Eli Manning has won a Super Bowl. Let's not forget. And uh, Philip Rivers he has. hasn't. So he's he's a little sure bit he better than Phil. Yeah, he's pretty. He's better than Philip Rivers. Definitely. Now, sir, do you have any uh, closing thoughts before we uh, play out some uh, some comedy clips to end the show? I think we should end on a happy note. I just, I think I, I we would be doing our fans, our audience, an injustice if we didn't touch upon for just two quick minutes on the fact that Penn State is covering up such a huge scandal. And I just want you to uh, just quickly, Joe Paterno. After all that you've heard over the last day, or maybe if you heard anything about last night, but Joe Paterno, does he, does, does he stay? Or should he stay or should he resign? I think he has to go. I, I don't see how he can stay. Uh, I know he's an institution in Penn State. I know he's been there forever, but he's got to go. Um, and I, I just don't even it, – it, to me, it's indefensible to not say something, to not do something. He did talk to the, the you know the DA or whatever, not the DA. He talked to the uh, athletic director, the AD. And it was brought to the attention of the DA, who apparently, this is what I didn't know this, but apparently the DA was found dead or murdered or he's been declared dead. The guy who originally saw the Sandusky case, the guy who originally saw the whole Jerry Sandusky thing that was brought to him, he was never found. So I don't know what happened. He's been legally declared dead, according to what I heard today on the fan. 
But um, there's no way to know why it wasn't prosecuted. I just don't understand how you can let, let this happen under your nose. You can defend this guy. You can keep him there. I don't know when. I don't know exactly when Sandusky was let go by the organization. But I mean, it's indefensible what he did, what he's accused of doing. If Joe Paterno had anything to do with covering it up, if he had anything to do with not, I mean, he should have gone to the police. He should have gone further than whatever he did. It wasn't enough. That's it. The end of the story. There's, it's what he did was not enough, sir. I agree with you, and um, hopefully, it's a disgrace. It's an absolute disgrace. Yeah, ho- hopefully they do the right thing because they've been hiding this for like so many years, and so many people feel so ashamed to be part of Penn State. I know it's not their fault, obviously, but just to the fact that this has been a cover-up for so many years, it's just, it is a disgrace, and Joe Paterno needs to go. He's over the hill, He's and after hearing all the stuff that just came out over the last couple of days, it's just, he's, he really needs to go. I'm just surprised he's not facing any criminal charges, but again, he didn't do anything technically wrong, but morally wrong. Morally, yes, Joe yeah. Paterno. yeah. And then he's got to go, yeah, yeah, he's got to go, just like we got to go. But before we play the clips, I know we have two shows next week, don't we, sir? Yes, we do. You can check us out next Tuesday at 10 p.m. We're going to be joined by Miss Arizona 2009, Alicia Blanco. Uh, obviously, on Thursday last week, we had the one and only Morgan Woolard, who's probably one of my favorite guests for you know various reasons, just a wonderful person. Um, again, we'd like to thank Michael Jr. for joining us this evening, but Alicia's going to be with us next Tuesday. And then next Thursday... We're going to have Justin Labar of RussellZone.com. I'm actually talking to Justin right now through a little instant messenger service, uh, thanking him for, you know, plugging us over on uh, on RussellZone and putting us up there. He was telling me about the the rough crowd, as it were, and I'm sure we'll touch on this next week. But Justin will be joining us next Thursday, so, uh, you know, we're definitely uh, excited about that. Actually, wait a minute. <laughs> wait, wait a minute, sir. Wait, would you just wait a second? Um, next Tuesday, Miss Arizona. How are we going to follow up Miss Arizona with Justin LaVar? No offense to Justin, but that, 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 that's a huge difference. But anyway, uh, make sure you check us out next week, two episodes, 10 p.m., as always, Eastern Standard Time. Folks, again, thank you so much for listening today. We're going to play a couple of clips here to end the show. But once again, I just want to... No, wait, no, 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 wait a second. No, wait a second, David. Wait, David, David. First of all, first of all, wait a second. Wait a second, David, for a second. Let me... Wait a second. That's... <laughs> of course, one of my favorite clips. The so folks, again, you can check us out, puregoldpg.com. You can call on the show as we go off the air, 714-364-4721. Follow us on Twitter and Facebook and all that goodness. For JB, this is DG of PG reminding you to always keep it pure gold. Love doing comedy at churches. I do comedy all over. I'm at the casinos. I'm at uh, the clubs. Churches, and when I'm at the club and I say I do comedy at churches, they're like, what? Churches chicken? They don't even know that people at church know how to laugh, which is weird. So I read the Bible a lot, right? Read the Bible, found out, reading the Bible, found out that Jesus had a little brother. Anybody know his name? James. When I read that, I was like, man, how much pressure was that? (laughs) Jesus, your big brother? How many times do you have to hear, why come you can't be more like Jesus, James? Because <laughs> you know, everybody probably thought that James could do the same thing Jesus could do, but he couldn't. He was just James. He wasn't James Christ. <laughs> Remember the wedding banquet? Jesus turned water into wine. Everybody was amazed. But they don't tell you about the next banquet. Jesus left early. They started running out of wine. Everybody looked at James. 
We don't got no more wine, James. You just gonna stand there with your sandals on? You're not gonna make no wine? Jesus was tempted for 40 days in the desert. 40 days. The devil said, I'll give you anything you want. Jesus went 40 days and said, no. I bet James, when he got tempted too, came back in three hours. Man, shoot. Don't be judging me, man. Because you know how little brothers are. That's what they do. Little brothers follow their big brother everywhere. If Jesus went there, so did James. He followed him. I bet one time James almost drowned. Jesus walked on water. James tried to do That's him swimming out. And then I'm leaving the club. I'm literally leaving the club. And then uh, I'm, I'm on my way to my, uh, to my car, and it's a little cold. This is Hermosa Beach, so it's a really nice area People got a lot of money. I'm on my way to my car, and it's getting a little cold, a little dark outside. So I'm thinking it's time for Michael Jr. to get to where he needs to be, right? So I start jogging. <laughs> then this white lady comes around the corner. She got her little jogging outfit on, a little headset, about 20 feet in front of me. Now we're jogging in the same direction. <laughs> then she looked back. <laughs> she started jogging faster. So I look back too. I didn't see anything back there. I figure if a white person scared of it, Michael Jr. scared of it too. So I started jogging faster. After she looked back again, she took off in full stride. This time I didn't even look back. I turned on the gears too, and I could have easily passed her up. I'm thinking, no, I can't just lead this defenseless lady out here by herself. Whoever back there gonna get her. So I yelled up to her, is that as fast as you can run? Good night, everyone. I got two words for you. Pure gold.